Greetings, everyone. And some of you at this feast may be viewing the tape here, this sermon in respect to keeping the feast in your home because you're a shut-in and you didn't have any other choice, as it were. So just a special greetings to any that may be viewing this video in your home because you didn't have the option or the opportunity to be at a feast site. But certainly want to say a a special feast greeting to everyone that may be viewing this. And obviously the Feast of Tabernacles is a highlight for all of us during the year. And in the not too far distant future, it is going to be a highlight for all of mankind. And in respect to what is coming for mankind, the feast does picture an awesome future reality. It isn't just something that we keep in type that has, as it were, little or no meaning as the holidays of the world would have in the overview, having really no meaning and certainly no lasting meaning in any way. But the feast as I had mentioned, does picture an awesome reality that's coming. And it's going to be something that all of mankind will be able to rejoice in after Jesus Christ has returned to this earth and the kingdoms of this world will have become the kingdoms of Jesus Christ and the saints will be there ruling with him and under him in various capacities. And so the feast will certainly be a highlight for all of mankind, and we can, we can rejoice in this wonderful reality that's coming. In First Peter chapter 2, we read, But you are a, that is, First Peter 2 and verse 9, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, it says, and that we are called out of darkness into a marvelous light. But call for a reason and a purpose, and that is to show forth, meaning to preach, to publish, to proclaim the good news of him that has called us out of the darkness of this present time into the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the feast again having special meaning when all of the world will be invited, as it were, to come to the Feast of Tabernacles. And we know because of the reign of Jesus the Christ that in reality the whole world will respond, not at the beginning, but in due time after Christ has returned, then they will be, they will be keeping this feast. And certainly it's something for us to anticipate, anticipate with eager anticipation. And the having the desire, having the fire in our belly, as Dr. Meredith reminds us quite often, and it is certainly an excellent reminder that we need to have internalized a desire to finish this work and to see the return of Jesus Christ and all that the return of Christ and the keeping of things God's way. And in the Feast of Tabernacles, that does picture the millennial reign or alike, as it were, a thousand years of keeping a Sabbath with happiness and joy and peace and abundance. We are told in John chapter 15 and verse 16, Christ talking to the disciples, and he said to them very directly, very plainly, he said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And they were chosen for a reason, and certainly by extension, that we, we are chosen to continue the work that has been going on now for 2,000 years overall in, in that neighborhood, and knowing that Jesus Christ has chosen us to go forward to do a work and to bear much fruit, not a little fruit, but much fruit, an abundance of fruit, which we can do by and through truly understanding, appreciating, believing and looking forward to the time that this feast does picture. In meeting certain people from time to time or keeping company as such with individuals that we may know, there is an expression that I'm sure that most of us are familiar with, and that is 
that we are known by the company that we keep. And certainly, in that sense, the word, and in the not too far distant future, when Christ has returned, we are going to be known by a company that we keep in a very, very special way. If you would like a title for the sermon, it is A Chosen Generation. And as being part of a chosen generation, we read in Hebrews chapter 11, talking about others that will be part of this chosen generation. There was a book out some years ago in respect to those that had battled, as it were, or had endured the tough times of World War II, and it was called or referred to in the book as the greatest generation. In reality, the greatest generation that will ever live in respect to human life and then growing toward the kingdom and family of God, and then when the first fruits are born into the kingdom and family of God, that will be the greatest generation. A generation called to serve. A generation called to help all of mankind. Not just try to help, but under the living Jesus Christ, helping all of mankind in something that, to use an expression, as far as really being excited and enthused about what the calling and the opportunity is, it's something that we can sink our teeth into, really take hold, and with eager, eager anticipation, be looking forward to the reality of these days and not just the opportunity to keep them in type now. Again, in Hebrews 11, in verse 4, we read, By faith, Abel. And then in verse 5, by faith, Enoch. And then in verse Seven, by faith, Noah, and it goes right on down the line, by faith, Abraham. And so we are being reminded here of individuals that will be among the first fruits when Christ returns, that will be part of this chosen generation, chosen to be the first fruits, to be among the first fruits when Jesus Christ returns. We're reminded here that in verse 13, that all of these people from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and others, that they all died in faith. In other words, they died in the faith. They <clears throat> endured unto the end, and therefore a crown of righteousness is certainly awaiting them among the first fruits when Christ does return. And the indication here is, very plainly, where their heart and mind was. Although they were aware of God's overall plan of salvation, their hearts and mind was not here in this age, in this time, in the temporary existence, as we might say, of human beings. But they saw the overall big picture that Christ, or Christ the, and God the Father, both Christ, of course, who was the God of the Old Testament, the one who said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, that this promise, that the end result would be that mankind would become part of the very family of God, and so... Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Abel, they were all looking forward to that time, to the future, not just focusing on what would have been for them at a given, at a given time in their here and now, hearkening back to, to Abel, who was killed, you might say, at the very gates of Eden, but all the way from righteous Abel right on down, and it mentions in verse 15, and truly, and this could have been true for all of them, if they had been mindful of that country from which they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is something that was going to be coming in the future. It was there both for Abel, going back about 6,000 years ago, and for us today. And we're being reminded here of the company 
that we will be keeping by and through God's mercy and as we endure unto the end and do the work. Verse 23 says, by faith, Moses. And then coming on down in verse 32, it talks about Gideon and others. In verse 35, it said, women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And certainly the first resurrection, the first fruits, it is a better resurrection. And we call to be a part of a chosen generation and a royal priesthood to go forward bearing much fruit to the glory and honor of God the Father and Jesus Christ. Yes, our calling is a priceless opportunity. You cannot put a price tag on the opportunity, the greatest opportunity that human beings will ever have, and that is to be among the first fruits and to be born into the kingdom and family when Christ does return. So among the things regarding our calling and priceless opportunity, we are called to rule with Christ. Now, in this world... Many people might be enamored of an idea if they could simply be somewhat closely associated with a king or a queen or some royal house somewhere around the world. But our rule, we are to be with Jesus Christ reigning with and under him. So again, what a priceless opportunity and blessing and calling the opportunity to rule with and under Jesus Christ. Revelation 2 and verse 26 and 27, familiar scripture that tells us, to him that overcomes and keeps my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And we are to rule them with a rod of iron. Rule them in a way, in a manner that will be helpful to them, that will be helpful for all, and we will be able to do this in the perfection of the family of God. Again, what an awesome opportunity to be a part of a chosen generation that God himself in his wisdom and in his mercy and kindness has called us. Now, we realize and understand that we are not the mighty of the world. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 26, we'll not be turning there, but it reminds us It says, for you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. And that's true. Certainly not many, and I would not be included among even a few that might be considered of a a higher class, you might say. No, I do see, and I'm sure all of us in the overview see, that God is not calling the great and the mighty, but he is calling us to grow in grace and knowledge and by and through God's Holy Spirit to develop and build the very character of God the Father and Jesus Christ, to inculcate, incorporate through his Spirit the very mind of Jesus Christ and of God the Father. And therefore, when Jesus Christ does return, and we are born into that kingdom and family, we will have the completeness of understanding and knowledge and ability to be able to help in a very profound way all of mankind. And again, what a wonderful opportunity. Reminded again in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 10 that we are to be kings and priests. Yes, the promises from God are sure. They are there. They are sure. And we can believe and trust completely in the Word of God. Another familiar scripture, and I will just quote this also in Revelation 11 and verse 15. At the seventh trumpet, we are reminded at that time, the Word, as it were, will go forth. A message will be broadcast or thundered around the world that at that moment in time that the kingdoms of this world will at that moment 
become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And then the, the good news on top of the good news that they would last forever. The kingdom of God, when it arrives, it is never going to end. And what a privilege and an opportunity to be there among the first fruits and to be there with awesome company all the way from righteous Abel at the very gates of Eden right on down to all that are seeking a better resurrection. The opportunity to be part of a chosen generation, part of a royal priesthood under the living Jesus Christ, and part of the first fruits to enter in completeness the very kingdom and family of God. Yes, it is going to happen. We may ask the question from time to time or just think in our minds, can we really be sure? And, of course, the answer is yes, we can be sure. And there are many, many ways that we can be sure. And although I'm not going to be trying to relate all of the number of ways that we can certainly be sure in respect to the fact of God being a creator, a life giver and sustainer, a law giver and sustainer, and all the proofs that are there of the existence of God the Father and Jesus Christ as creator, life giver and sustainer, but also the very word of God. And Jesus Christ said that although heaven and earth would pass away, Certainly, it's going to be changed completely before God the Father after the millennium and after the last great day, before God the Father will bring the capital of the universe to this earth, that heaven and earth, in that sense, the word would pass away. There was going to be a new heaven and a new earth. But the word of God, these promises of God, they will not pass away. And they remain very firm and secure the word of God, the promises of God, and they are going to continue to remain exactly that way. Yes, in a manner of speaking, we can take the word of God and we can take it to the bank because it is going to endure and prove to be completely and totally faithful in respect to God's promises to us and to all mankind when we Endure to the end and when mankind is willing and desiring of God's way as opposed to the ways of Satan the devil. In Daniel chapter 2, we will go there and read just a bit of the emphatic statements that God the Father and Jesus Christ has caused to be written for us to understand or just to be reminded of the certainty of God's promises. And so in Daniel 2, which is here, it is the story of the great image and of the four world ruling kingdoms as designated by God would occur. And then in coming down, well, first of all, uh, perhaps just a little bit of background information there. Obviously, this was at the time that the Jews were in captivity in Babylon. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, he had had this dream. And none of the wise men, the wise men of the world, as it were, or those that would be considered some of the great and mighty and educated and elite and advisor to the king, they did not have the power, the knowledge, the understanding, anything to answer the king. And in a manner of speaking, though, the king gave all of them something to really think about He basically said, unless you can tell me both what I dreamed and what it means, then I'll kill you. So in that sense, the word I think we could uh, perhaps in our minds uh, think of, of the angst of the all of these people being distraught. And they told the king, no one has the power to do that. But then he was reminded by Daniel that there is a God in heaven that could. And so the the dream, both what the dream was, was stated and revealed again, brought back to to the mind of Nebuchadnezzar. And so Daniel, mind through the power of God, showed Dan or Daniel showed King Nebuchadnezzar what the meaning of the dream was. 
The last part of the image coming down to the two legs and then the ten toes. Verse 42 talks about the toes of the feet. And then coming on down to verse 44. And in the days of these kings or the final ten kings, the final ten nations as it were that will join with and give their their power as it were over to the beast power and to the false prophet in the days of these final ten kings and the final resurrection of the Roman Empire and in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom and notice once again which shall never be destroyed when the kingdom of God destroys all of the opposition here on this earth when he returns in respect to the to the nations gathering together to fight against them. When that does occur and the kingdom of God is established, it's never going to disappear. No, when the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms again of our Lord and of his Christ, then he will reign forever and ever. And so it says the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all of these kingdoms. And notice it shall stand forever. And the last part of verse 35, then the reminder there, and this dream that Nebuchadnezzar had had, this dream is certain and the interpretation thereof sure. And yes, God's word is sure, and the days of these ten toes are approaching us, whether it's a few years or a few years more. We are living in the end time, and it is certain and sure that the returning Jesus Christ, that he will return, and what we have read here in the days of those final ten kings, the days of the toes, that Christ would return and set up a kingdom that would never end. And we as part of that chosen generation and royal priesthood, this is telling us that what we desire, which is the coming kingdom of God, not desiring this world as Abel, from Abel right on up through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, they desired something better. They desired the coming kingdom of God, not a temporary life or temporary pleasures here on this earth. Yes, a priceless calling, an opportunity to rule with Christ. Going forward a few chapters to chapter 7, and we are reminded here by God that his promises are sure and that what will happen, what has been decreed that will happen, it will happen that way, and then the final end result will be the return of Christ, the kingdom of God being set up, and the days that we keep now in type at the feast become a wonderful, lasting reality that is for the thousand years. But the kingdom of God and all of its meaning will never end from that point on. So we read here in Daniel 7 and verse 18, but the saints of the Most High, well, we'll go back to verse 17, talking about the four beasts, says these great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. Yes, they will arise out of the earth. And time will have gone by, and we will be at the time of the ten toes. And so the end result is certain and sure. And we read, but the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom. And notice for how long we'll possess the kingdom forever and ever. Truly, what good news this is. What good news of the coming kingdom and family of God and our opportunity to be there among the first fruits. We read again in verse 27, And the kingdoms and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominion shall serve and obey him. Yes, 
for all of us, by and through God's help and his might and his spirit, as we go forward and do the work, as we keep the work, do the work unto the end, then power over the nations will be given to us under the living Jesus Christ. Wonderful opportunity, priceless knowledge and understanding that we will be ruling with and under the living Jesus Christ not many years down the road. In respect also to our priceless calling and opportunity, we're called to rule with Christ, which we've just covered, and we're called, we're chosen to serve mankind. Called, chosen to serve, to give. We live by and through God's Spirit the way of give, not the way of get. God's way is the epitome, the perfection of the way of give. And so what a wonderful opportunity it's going to be to serve all of mankind under the living Jesus Christ in respect to whatever opportunities and responsibilities that we are given. And what a wonderful, wonderful opportunity that's going to be. And what makes it such an awesome and wonderful opportunity is that it is about serving and giving. It's the very opposite of the way of this world, the way of get. In Isaiah chapter 25, let's turn there and notice what is going to occur. Not what people will try to make happen, but what the living God, what the living Jesus Christ has promised and what will occur by and through the awesome power of the family of God. In Isaiah chapter 25, and in verse 6, and in this mountain, that is reflective of a government, a kingdom, in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people, notice that, unto all people. Nothing is more enjoyable if we're sharing something of value and joy with others, nothing is more enjoyable or to make it more enjoyable than simply having additional people to be able to enjoy things with you and to experience the abundant life. And so the Lord of hosts will make unto all people a feast of fat things. Yes, in respect to food, drink, And whatever the needs may be, it will be a feast, notice, not just an existence. It doesn't say that there will be at least minimum food for all mankind, that perhaps we'll be able to have some certain focus groups that can help out in the darkest corners of the world. No, the Lord of hosts, the living Jesus Christ, is going to make a feast of fat things, the good life for all mankind. And here is how it will come about. Verse 7, and he will destroy in this mountain, that is, in this coming kingdom and government of God, he will destroy the face of the covering, notice, cast over all people. Yes, Satan the devil, who deceives the whole world. The whole world is in deception. It has been deceived. It is in deception. But that is going to be removed. And it's like a very dark veil that has been spread over all nations. The deception of Satan the devil is spread over the entire world. And mankind has been totally blinded by this veil that is spread over all that has been spread over all nations, it's going to be taken away. It's going to be pulled away, and the glorious light of the gospel of God the Father and Jesus Christ will be preached and proclaimed, taught to all of mankind. And the Spirit of God will flow around the world at that time with an abundance as the spirit of Satan the devil encompasses the world today. So God's spirit will be there so that all of the people that are alive and desire God's way and we as teachers with and under under Jesus Christ will be there to serve them and help them to understand 
perfectly all that they will ever need to know to then be part of a second generation, we might say, or an ongoing generation that will be born into the kingdom and family of God. And so the veil that is cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations will be drawn away. And we read in verse 9, And it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. Yes, the world will be able at that time to walk by sight as they understand the meaning of faith and the meaning of God's promises and the awesome reality of why they were born. This is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And we should be very glad and rejoicing now that our eyes have been opened. The veil of darkness has been stripped away. And now we know the awesome reality of God's merciful plan of salvation and our opportunity to be there to serve mankind under the living Jesus Christ. Turning forward a few chapters to chapter 30 here in Isaiah and down in verse 18. And therefore will the Lord wait that he may be gracious unto you. And therefore will he be exalted. Why? That he may have mercy upon you. Yes, God is a God of mercy. His mercy is higher than the heavens are above the earth. Good news. Awesome good news. He will have mercy upon you, for the Lord is a God of judgment, of justice. Blessed are all they that wait for him. For the people shall dwell in Zion at Jerusalem. They will weep no more. He will be very gracious unto you at the voice of their cry. And when he shall hear it, he will answer you. And a way, a specific way here that the first fruits will be involved. We read in verse 20, And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity, hard times, difficult times are coming because of deception and rebellion. Adversity is coming. Yet shall not your teachers be removed into a corner anymore, but your eyes will see your teachers. Yes, God's wonderful promise and desire is that human beings living at this time and later on into the last great day will have the opportunity to walk beside, to see, to touch, to feel very members of the family of God, and be reassured of the awesome reality of what they are experiencing and what they're being taught. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk you in it, when you turn to the right hand and when you turn to the left. Yes, the veil of darkness will be stripped away, drawn away, and all of mankind will be exceedingly blessed under the reign of Jesus Christ and the saints. In chapter 35, we read also about some of the things that will occur when this veil of darkness is stripped away. We read in chapter 35 and verse 3, Strengthen you the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Yes, those that survive through the great tribulation, those of Israel that are brought back into the land of, of promise in a great exodus that will wipe away and take away the memory of any future exodus that was there, this great exodus that will be coming, and people will be led out of captivity and led with gentleness and with compassion and concern, and they will need it. They will need it. And for us to be able to be there with and under Jesus Christ, to be instruments of God's mercy in helping these people. What an awesome opportunity. And unless, brethren, I'm sure that at least once in each and every day, we consider these things and we rejoice in the reality that's coming. And we need to be even more aware of this. 
each and every day of our lives and look forward with great anticipation to being able to serve all of mankind under the living Jesus Christ. Verse 4, say to them that are of a fearful heart. Yes, people will have been traumatized beyond perhaps anything that we could really articulate at this moment. But it's going to be a situation where they're going to need help physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, in every way. And we will have that opportunity. We have that opportunity to be there to help. God will come. Yes, God is going to return as the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He will put down all rebellion that is fighting against him. But for all that would desire peace and deliverance, it will be there and it will never end. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart. Can you imagine that? People that have been lame from birth. People that have lost their legs, unable to walk. And when they're healed, running and jumping and leaping. And I'm sure, brethren, that we will be running and jumping and leaping in respect to their joy. Very much thankful of the opportunity that we have to be there to help them What a day that will be. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. That is our calling. That is our opportunity. That is our blessing and privilege to be there to serve all of mankind. In Micah, in the Minor Prophets, we will turn there and in chapter 4, We will read the wonderful words again of God the Father and Jesus Christ that are written here, and they are sure and certain. We read in Micah chapter 4 and in verse 1, But in the last days it shall come to pass, yes, after we have gone beyond the the coming time of testing and trial and the tribulation, and Jesus Christ has returned, that again, notice the mountain of the Lord's house, the government of God will be established in the top of the mountains. Other governments, large and small, it will be established over all the earth. The veil of darkness will be stripped away from all the earth, and it will be exalted above the hills. God's government will be exalted above all the governments and all the governments will come under, be in subjection to the government of God in completeness. Not talking that individuals automatically will choose God's way in perfection. There certainly will be the time for them to grow after the veil of darkness is stripped away. But in respect to who is in charge, in respect to the kingdoms of this world becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, it is certain and sure it will happen at the beginning or at when Jesus Christ returns, and it will never end. And many nations shall come, or many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for the law shall go forth from Zion. The word of God, in all its ramifications, the Ten Commandments, love toward God and love toward neighbor, amplified in all of the applications, it will go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and the result will be that... The plowshares, or that is the swords, the implements of war of this world will be beaten into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. And as it does state here, that nation is not going to lift up sword against nation nor learn war anymore. And Christ and the people of the family of God have all power, all power to make this happen. God the Father and Jesus Christ, they're simply sharing. 
this opportunity and power with us, which we can be grateful for. All power is there to take away the mindset that is there and to establish a godly government that will not end. Neither shall they learn more anymore. And it says that everyone will sit under his own vine and under his fig tree, emblematic here of everyone having what they need, their own land, as it were, having the good life. And notice, none shall make them afraid. The trustworthiness of this statement we find continuing here, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken it. Yes, God has spoken it. It is a promise. It will be done. Yes, we are called to serve mankind. And I've always appreciated the statement that none, none will make people afraid. No one will be able to make anyone afraid that chooses and desires and appreciates God, God's good way. We are called to rule with Christ. We are called to serve all of mankind. And we are called to inherit all things. Inherit all things. Even though we can make the statement, it's still, in a manner of speaking, is hard for us to grasp. The reality that we will inherit all things. Here in Matthew chapter 25, we will simply turn there and, and read the statement here in verse 34 of Matthew chapter 25. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, those that have endured unto the end, those that have kept the work unto the end, those that have had the fire in their belly, by and through the admonition of Dr. Meredith and others from headquarters, the leadership and the work and others to go forward, to take full advantage, full advantage of our calling and opportunity and keeping the work, doing the work unto the end. The Father will say, Come you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Yes, this decision of God the Father and Jesus Christ to create after their own kind, it was certain and sure from the moment that they thought about it, that they developed the plan. It was certain and sure, and it is going to happen. They are going to, we are going to inherit all things, all things. It means what it says. Let's go to Hebrews, a companion complementary scripture here and statement regarding inheriting all things. In Hebrews chapter 2, we read regarding mankind. Verse 5 of Hebrews 2, For unto the angels has he, that is God, not put in subjection the world to come. Yes, there is coming the tomorrow's world. There's coming the kingdom of God, a kingdom established that will never be destroyed. And this will not be given to the rulership of angels. We read in verse 6, but one in a certain place testified saying, what is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you visit him? You have made him a little lower or for the time being the clay models a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and did set him over the works of your hands. Ultimately, mankind is going to be given all things, those that, of course, that desire God's way and embrace God's way. Verse 7 or verse 8 says, You have put all things in subjection under the feet of man, for in that he put all in subjection under him. Notice the emphatic statement, He left nothing, nothing that is not put under man, that is under God the Father and Jesus Christ, mankind. But now we see not yet, no, man in the flesh cannot inherit all things, and man in the flesh is just 
the clay model, just the clay beginning in which God will mold and shape and develop these clay models by and through his spirit to a time when they can, when the first fruits and later on others will be born into the very kingdom and family of God. This is, again, a statement here reflecting the reality of all things. In Hebrews, not Hebrews, we were there. Let's go to Romans chapter 8 and continue here with specific emphatic statements and promises regarding inheriting all things. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 31, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Notice, for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Not just giving us all things, freely give us all things. Truly, it is something to be mindful of and to anticipate with great desire and with the certainty of God's word that it is going to occur, it will occur, and it will occur in exactly the way that God has promised. Another complimentary scripture in respect of what we are talking about and something that I always appreciate this statement in Luke chapter 12. If you would turn there, Luke chapter 12 and down in verse 32. It isn't just a matter that by, when we have, by and through God's spirit and power, endured unto the end, and then it's like, well, they endured, so from God the Father and Jesus Christ, we have to do what we promised. No, God is going to freely give us all things. And notice what it says here in Luke 12 and verse 32. God says, fear not, little flock. The first fruits, the number that God is calling today is a little flock, a very small, a very small flock in comparison to the numbers of men, that is humankind, that does live here on the earth. But as Dr. Meredith has mentioned from time to time, that we are like one half of a peanut shell out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. And even, even counting, starting with righteous Abel at the very gates of Eden, going back, rounded off 6,000 years, and all that have heeded the calling, responded to the calling that God had given, it would still be a little flock. When all of these, when the dead in Christ and those still alive in Christ, when Christ returns, all put together will still be a little flock. And so God in his great mercy and in his great kindness and his desire to encourage us to go forward, to rejoice not just in the days of the feast, yes, certainly to rejoice in the type that we are celebrating of the coming millennial reign of Christ, but to be looking forward, not to be wishing the feast would be over or anything like that, but always in the mind's eye, knowing that what we are practicing and keeping during the days of the feast is going to be fulfilled in an awesome reality in the not too far distant future. So God said, fear not, little flock. Don't be afraid. Don't be worried regarding numbers or the fact that by and through God's help and power, we go against the grain, as it were, of this society, this world, that we are having to walk in opposition or that is going the opposite direction and that the world as such is against us because they don't understand the word, the will, the purpose of God. But God doesn't want us to be discouraged. So he says, for it is your father's good pleasure, your father's good pleasure, brethren, to give you the kingdom. That is a promise from God that we not only will be blessed as we will be or when we are among the first fruits, 
born into the kingdom, it's going to be our Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. So we've talked about, in regard to our priceless calling and opportunity to be part of a chosen generation, we've talked about the opportunity to rule with Christ, the opportunity to serve mankind, and the opportunity to inherit all things. But for us to inherit all things, what do we need to inherit all things? What is a missing element here in respect to the things that we have been talking about overall? What is the next thing or the concluding thing that we need if we are to receive all things? And that is going to happen. And this final point here is that we will inherit, that is, we will receive the gift of everlasting life. Everlasting life. See, only with everlasting life will we be able to inherit all things to be part of that kingdom, of that government that will take over all the other kingdoms of this world and will stand forever, we must have the gift of everlasting life to be able to serve in that kingdom and government and to be part of that kingdom and government forever. Going back once again to Romans, and this time in in Romans Chapter 2, a promise or a reminder of what we are promised. And we read in Romans chapter 2 and verse 6, who, that is referring to Jesus Christ and God the Father, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patient continuance in well-doing, notice, seek, for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. Yes, we seek glory and honor and immortality along with eternal life. And we are reminded in verse 10, but glory and honor and peace to every man that works good, whether it be to Israel or to the Gentile nations, to all that would seek God's way, desire it, glory, honor, peace, and eventually immortality for all that will seek God's way during the millennium and then later on. Then we, we will go back once again briefly here to chapter 8. We were reading there a, just a few minutes ago, and this time in chapter 8 of Romans, We will read verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. But right now, though we are begotten of God, we have God's Spirit, the earnest, the down payment of the promise that we will be born into the kingdom and family when Christ returns. Verse 16 says, The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. Sometimes in reading through the scriptures, we may read a complete chapter or complete book. We read the words and perhaps we read right over them. But here, once again, we see the promise that if we suffer with him, that if by and through God's spirit and power, we go forward against the dictates and ways of this world to obey and follow the words of God the Father and Jesus Christ to preach the good news of the kingdom, to have a part in preaching the good news of the kingdom, supporting the work of God, having been called out of darkness into a marvelous light for that, for that very purpose that if we do that. This is in type suffering with Jesus Christ. And then we will be then glorified. 
we will be able to share the same type of glory that Jesus Christ has in being a member, a part of the very kingdom and family of God. Yes, brethren, the word of God is certain. It is sure. We are called, as it says, as it is stated, a chosen generation. But also, it said, a royal priesthood. Humanly speaking, the physical priesthood in respect to Aaron and to his sons, by its very nature, for individuals, it wasn't ongoing. The priesthood went on, but people would die, and others would have to come along and to be in that office to continue. Individuals could not continue because they did not have eternal life. Notice in Hebrews chapter 6 regarding the ultimate priesthood, the eternal priesthood, that is, the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the great high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And we will be kings and priests in that in or under the great high priest, Jesus the Christ. That's why we are called a royal priesthood. By analogy, in type as it were, the royal blood of the family of God will flow in our veins. That is a reality, a wonderful promise that is coming. And we read in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. In other words, God promised, and it's impossible for God to lie, and these are two immutable things that, that God's promises are sure. And we read then in verse 20, whether the forerunner is for us entered, that is, going in to the Holy of Holies, into the very throne room of God, as it were, in type, as it were, here on this earth, but Jesus Christ, through his own blood, covering a sanctifying, a cleansing, a complete cleansing in the overview, ultimately, for all of us that desires to be under the blood of Jesus Christ, reconciled to God by the blood of Jesus Christ, reconciled by his death, but saved by his life. Christ is the forerunner for all of us in respect to, once again, having eternal life when he was resurrected from the dead, not as it were to be resurrected in flesh, but to be resurrected, the first of all that would be resurrected from the dead to spirit life. And so, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Continuing then in chapter 7, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priests of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of, of Salem, or Salem, which is king of peace. Christ is returning as Lord of lords and king of kings. He is coming. He will put down all rebellion, but he is the king of peace. And he will, he will usher in and bring in the way of peace. Notice in verse 3, without father, without mother, without descent, that is without having any, any ancestry and looking up your ancestry and you were, you came from people here or there and tracing your ancestry back for some short period of time as human beings. But Christ was always there without descent. He didn't have without father, without mother. He wasn't born. He wasn't created as Satan deceives people into thinking in, in a number of cases. Without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God, 
abides a priest continually. Now, again, how does he abide a priest continually? How can he do that? We already know, but let's read it here, coming down in in the chapter to verse 16. Who, that is Jesus Christ, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, not after physical things, but after the power of an endless life. Yes, Jesus Christ, once again, and from the day he was resurrected from the dead, entering into the realm and the power of an endless life. Think about it. He didn't have father, mother. Of course, God the Father didn't have father or mother. They have existed always, and we read this in Psalm 90. If you will turn to Psalm 90. As we move toward a conclusion, Psalm 90, regarding the reality that God the Father and Jesus Christ have always existed. Always existed. So we read in Psalm 90 and in verse 2. Before the mountains... It says, were brought forth, or ever, or ever you had formed the earth in the reaches of the past, before that the earth was ever formed, before the world, this world, but the only world and life that we know, before any of this happened, in the ages stretching back endlessly into the past, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Think about that, brethren. Yes, from everlasting to everlasting. God the Father and Jesus Christ have been from everlasting to everlasting. And the good news for us in having this awesome opportunity to be among the first fruits, let's go back briefly to Romans, to Romans chapter 8 again, and pick up a couple of final thoughts here in respect to our calling, our opportunity, the certainty of it. And we read in Romans chapter 8 again in verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, nakedness, peril, sword, nothing. Nothing can separate us. Verse 37, No, in all of these these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Verse 39, there's no height, there's no depth, there's no any creature that will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If our whole heart and mind, by and through God's Spirit, is focused on and dedicated to doing the work, finishing the work, being a part of the work, and doing it, then God will complete His work in us. He will complete His promise to us, and we will Inherit all things. Again, what an awesome promise. Remember that from everlasting to everlasting, from everlasting to everlasting, God the Father, they have existed from everlasting. They will exist. Great power and glory and honor and majesty, ruling over an awesome endless universe, with their family, others, the masterpiece that God is in the process of creating. And the first part of that masterpiece will be completed at the return of Jesus Christ in respect to the chosen generation and royal priesthood. Think about it then as we come to a close. Though no beings will ever have been from everlasting. We are called, or that is going back to the endless time before that God created the heavens and the earth and has started his master plan 
from everlasting, only God the Father and Jesus Christ alone will be from everlasting. But brethren, for us, we are called to inherit, to inhabit to everlasting going forward. To everlasting. Yes, to everlasting. Inheriting all things. All of an awesome, endless universe. All things. First fruits. A part of that chosen generation in the soon coming kingdom and family of God. Let's go forward, brethren. Never holding back, but by and through the power of God going forward to do what God desires. God the Father and Jesus Christ with great desire, desire for us to finish the race, to complete the course, and to be a part of that chosen generation that will inherit all things in the awesome future that will never end.